Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 1233 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott here alongside Cody Jansen on Oilers Now, where guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal and occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. All right, we've talked about some of the American Hockey League call-ups over this week, so let's get an outsider's perspective on exactly that and where better to turn than NHL.com's beat writer for the American American Hockey League. That is Patrick Williams. Patrick, welcome to Oilers Now. You're on with Brendan. How's it going today? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So we'll start here, Patrick. A bit of a, a different format for the league last year down in the AHL, similar to uh, what the NHL did, a divisional format. Uh, I'm curious what you thought uh, of how that all played out. Probably just the best of a bad situation. And uh, you must be excited to see things get back to normalcy down there. Uh, for sure. I mean, best of a bad situation is the exact way to describe it. Uh, and it was interesting because in a lot of ways, uh, it was several leagues within one, uh, extremely limited play uh, among teams. Uh, you know, most clubs uh, only play a handful of teams, even uh, far fewer than the NHL in terms of scheduling. But uh, um, it was also interesting in the sense that uh, some teams really tried to uh, put together pretty pretty much a, a typical team, uh, a lot like Bakersfield did, for example, but other teams uh, certainly, I think, cut back on uh, the veterans and some of the higher-end players. So, yeah, you had a pretty wide discrepancy uh, as far as talent levels and experience levels uh, from one team to the next. Well, and that was my next question as well. With the taxi squad last year at the NHL level, it must have been a strange sort of roster composition across the American League, something that you wouldn't quite have seen before yeah exactly you had uh, a lot of teams uh you had 18 19 year old first round picks uh, like ontario for example with the la teams uh, they had quentin byfield in the lineup alex turcott uh, uh also kind of mixed in with with with, with the hodgepodge of uh, uh some random veterans that they could find and some uh you know one-year type contract depth players uh so uh, actually what it's led to this summer is that uh, most teams have to do a pretty extensive rebuild on their rosters anywhere maybe from a half to three quarters of their roster uh, looks like it will turn over. So uh, there, there was a lot of uh, last-minute scrambling. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Calgary, for example, and how Stockton, uh, they moved that team a week before the season uh, up to Calgary. Uh, so it was uh it was a, it was an interesting experience for sure and uh something not the, the league would love to not have to repeat again uh, anytime soon but uh in a lot of ways i think uh, there were some ideas and innovations that did come out of the the whole experience chatting with patrick williams from nhl.com also contributes on sirius xm the nhl network channel they're talking ahl hockey and the roster composition of ahl teams i'm curious how you would describe it just 
when I look at it, I think in, you know, maybe even 10 or 15 years ago, there, there may have been more like veteran journeymen or more spots for those types of players. I think of like a Mike Keane and what he meant to the mm-hmm. Manitoba Moose forever and ever. And now you look at the rosters and it's, you know, it's a real developmental league at this point, of course, still with spots for those mentorship roles. But are you seeing sort of a youth movement over the last few years or am I imagining that? No, absolutely. Uh, real youth movement. I think it could even even more so now. Uh, there's a possibility. It looks like that uh, uh, some some of the CHL eligible players that played in the league last year will will remain in the American Hockey League. Uh, so you have uh, even more 19 year olds, for example, uh, sticking around. Uh, players that would have otherwise uh, had to return to junior. So. Uh, the veterans that are signed now, uh, they tend to be a lot of a higher end. So both in terms of uh, what they provide on the ice, uh, but uh, you also get a lot uh, higher caliber uh, veteran now in terms of leadership than maybe you did five or ten years ago where you, you tended to have a lot of guys that uh, had kicked around the business for a while and uh, were kind of just playing for contracts in their own individual situation. Now, if you're a veteran, you're expected to really come in and almost play an unofficial uh, assistant coach role. Uh, really uh, lean in uh, pretty hard to the mentorship and uh, guide the veterans while also being a, a top six forward, maybe a top four D-man. Uh, so it, it's a lot more that's put on veterans. Uh, now they are paid a lot better than they used to be, so uh, it does and maybe balance uh, out a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, it's a different composition for sure. Uh, development is, is massive now, and uh, that's life in the salary cap era where, uh, you know, if you look at the best the best NHL clubs, uh, they all develop really, really well starting in the American Hockey League. The Abbotsford Canucks, uh, a team returning to Abbotsford. Of course, we know the uh, the heat there once upon a time, ultimately not working out, moving down to, to Stockton. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on sort of why there hasn't been a tremendous amount of success for these American Hockey League clubs in in Western Canada and why uh, the Abbotsford Canucks may be different from that. Well, Abbotsford uh, was an interesting experience. Like you said, Calgary was in there, and uh, that's just a tough fit. I mean, 45 minutes to an hour outside of Vancouver to bring in one of the arch-rival parent clubs Uh, didn't really work. Uh, The team didn't particularly win either that so that never helps now you're bringing in vancouver's prospects uh uh, vancouver will be managing it both on and off the ice so they'll be able to pour a lot more uh resources into it money wise and marketing wise uh they've already had a pretty busy uh off season really bringing in some high-end veteran players uh it's a pretty popular destination i think uh for for a lot of players that uh maybe are from bc uh so that helps and uh I think it should uh, it should be a good fit, and I th- it's a difficult fit uh, Western Canada just simply because of, uh, most of your top markets are, are taken up by the WHL. Uh, so if you don't want to have uh, the team in inside your city, uh, such as Winnipeg with the Moose, uh, your options are fairly limited. So. Um, it, it is a tough fit. I mean, I, I know over the years. It's been something that the teams have 
looked at, but uh, there's just not really an obvious fit for, for a Western Canadian franchise beyond Abbotsford, beyond Winnipeg. Patrick Williams is an American Hockey League beat writer for NHL.com. We'd better hone in here on Bakersfield, uh, Patrick, especially after the year they had last year. Now, you mentioned that they may have been one of the teams that sort of loaded up a little bit, but it was their younger contributors and Cooper Marodi, Tyler Benson, Ryan McLeod, ultimately really getting uh, you know prominence on the point sheet. They looked like they could have you know stepped up and maybe even contributed at the next level, as been suggested by some of our show listeners. Um, but Ryan McLeod, cloud did make the jump when you're looking at that team last year you know what what elements are you seeing from bakersfield that's helping them come together and and turn into a, a perennially successful franchise well edmonton and bakersfield has been a really interesting example because for the longest time after the oilers their american hockey league uh setup was a really really difficult spot for, for the team and uh, it, it showed and for years and years they never really developed any real breakthrough prospects and now you're starting to really see some investment uh, paying off uh, you're seeing the Tyler Benson like you said uh, uh, Ryan McLeod Stuart Skinner Cooper Marody guys that you know real legitimate prospects that uh, look like uh, either this coming season or at least uh, not too far beyond that can uh, actually come in and make an impact and uh, Bakersfield they really went with kind of almost a half and half uh, uh, make up to their roster half really legitimate prospects and then half uh, real solid core veteran players so they had Adam Cracknell who you know came in and made just a real big impact uh, great leader for the younger players and, and can still play uh, he was fantastic during their little mini playoff that they had and uh, you had Ryan Stanton uh, you just had a good mix of uh uh, not just uh, veterans, but the right veterans. And I think that's the key uh, for a team like Bakersfield, or really any American Hockey League team, that you want to have veterans that, that really buy into it and take on that mentorship role, take almost sort of a big brother uh, type of presence for those prospects. And um, you're starting to see it pay off. I mean, it, it's not an overnight uh, um, type of uh, rebuild uh, to get your American Hockey League uh, farm systems start starting to yield prospects, but you can really really see if you do it right, like like a Tampa uh, with Syracuse, it can really start to pay off, and you you really are able to supplement the NHL roster with a lot of uh, good young affordable talent that can fit in under the cap. So uh, Bakersfield's uh, really been a, a pretty good success story there. Jay Woodcroft coming in a couple years ago and really having a lot of success. Uh, twice winning the division uh, and um, looks like they're they're back uh, next season uh, and you should have a really good uh, crop uh, come through there again. Love hearing what the players have to say about Jay Woodcroft when they, they get the call up or they re-sign a deal as we've had Benson uh, come in in that sense. Um, from an outsider's perspective, you know what have you seen from Woodcroft that's allowed this program to take a step forward in how it's developing its players? Highly, highly respected. Uh, his NHL assistant coaching experience, I think, goes a long way. There's a guy who uh, has, has seen uh, the NHL and what's required uh, up close, uh, worked from some real successful uh, operations, uh, Detroit. And, you know, and so um, a guy that came in young, uh, I think he relates well to players. Uh, he's that, that mix of old school, new school, you know, old school in the sense that, you know, there are standards and there's, uh, some discipline, but the new school in the sense that he's able to adapt to today's player and uh, really communicate his message well, and that that's huge for American Hockey League coaches now. I mean, every single one of them, almost to a man, will tell you that uh, you have to not only uh, it, it, uh, 
deliver your message, you have to sell it and explain it. And uh, a coach like Woodcroft, very, very highly intelligent, uh, very hockey savvy uh, the type of bench boss, uh, really is good at that. And, and the message is obviously sinking in. So, um, you yeah, know, he's a he's a guy that I think has turned a lot of heads around the American Hockey League uh, as a potential uh, future NHL coach at some point, uh, leading his own team. So um, that, that's been a huge part. He, he's a little bit, uh, I think, sometimes, uh, you know, He's not a huge dominating personality, so he, he maybe is overlooked a little bit. Uh, but certainly in American Hockey League, uh, he is he's very highly respected. And we shouldn't uh, do the disservice to Dave Manson on that coaching staff or, frankly, Keith Gretzky, Absolutely. who oversees uh, the whole operation and has for a couple of years now. Now, Patrick, uh, what traits do you see when an AHL player looks like he's ready to take that next step? You know, is it is it a confidence level? Is it coming up on the stats sheet? Or, you know, is it uh, maybe a trust from a coach when you're watching the minor league game what indicates mm. to you that the player's ready well yeah especially like like, like a forward for example um the points and, and the, the offensive production tend to come first but it's when um they can blend in that that full 200 foot uh, two-way game that, that that coaches harp on non-stop at the american hockey league level uh, when they can do that and the the offensive production still remains, that's when you know that uh, a player is really pretty much set to go. And, and nowadays, I mean, you have to almost be a plug-and-play uh, type player when you come up to the NHL. There's not a lot of time to do a lot of teaching uh, with the schedule and, and with, with the win-now uh, aspect of the NHL. So more you're able to come up and, and, and step right into the lineup, uh, not really skip a beat, uh, that's what – uh, tends to separate those players uh, who are, who come up for a cup of coffee uh, and the ones that, that ultimately stick. So, yeah, when I mentioned Tampa, and, and they're a team that, that's uh, famous for that. They almost let players over-ripen uh, in the American Hockey League so that when they do come up, um, they stay up and then they don't get on that yo-yo up and down. So uh, that's generally what you see, the first sign, where really they, they, they do the things that uh, – got them there but then they, they incorporate that uh, defensive side of the game that that uh, will ultimately help them stick in the NHL. Would you say that you're seeing more success in that realm from people that have chosen the college route in recent years than say the major junior route or is it a very individual thing? I only say that because when you talk about how teams have sort of shifted their drafting philosophies in the later rounds anyway to you know acquiring the talent that can sit in their system for a number of years and, and really mature and and have more control in that sense rather than, uh, you know, maybe a younger player who pops up at 20 instead of 23 or 24. What do you think about that? Yeah, that, that's that's a very good point in the sense uh, college does offer you the chance to have a little bit longer time to uh, mature both physically and just in your hockey game. Uh, uh, the flip side of that is the sooner you can get them into your American Hockey League fold, the sooner you can work with them. Uh, on a day-to-day basis with your coaches, your system, uh, have them playing a, a real pro-type schedule. So um, the thing you tend to hear a lot now, uh, really in the last few years, is every player now has an individual uh, path. And uh, some players, it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty quick path through the American Hockey League. Others uh, need uh, three, maybe even four years sometimes. I mean, look at Carter Verhage, he kind of bounced around the American Hockey League for a good number of years before he finally stuck. And um, I think there tends to be a lot more patience now with those players that get into that third or fourth American Hockey League season than there used to be. It used to be at that 
point, uh, a lot of teams would start to write players off, but I think there's a, a lot more of an awareness now growing that uh, you do need to take a more patient approach. And even if a player is 23, 24, he still has an NHL window. And I think that's been a big change in the last uh, a number of years that, uh, you know, a greater sense of awareness of uh, each player having that uh, individual path and not kind of trying to do a one-size-fits-all. Patrick Williams, the AHL beat writer for NHL.com. I've got one more for you here, just sort of on the growth of the game in the American League specifically. We saw the Henderson Silver Knights uh, sort of burst onto the scene. They looked like they belonged right then and there, kind of like Vegas did. Uh, I think about Palm Springs as a pretty unique hockey market coming up in a a couple of years here. Would love to catch a broadcasting job there in the sunshine. But, uh, you know, these are pretty unique markets. Henderson, Nevada, Palm Springs, California. But you know, positive in the sense of growth of hockey, how are they doing? You know, how is they, how is it received in these markets as best as you can handicap that for us? Yeah. I mean, Henderson had a tough, uh, tough road coming in uh, during the pandemic season, but uh, they were able to open up their building about halfway through and really did well at the tenants. Uh, you know, that, that final series with Bakersfield uh, back in May, uh, they drew seven, uh, almost 8,000 fans uh, for those final games. So uh, really well. Uh, you're seeing just uh, the NHL teams take a lot more of a hands-on approach now. Um, so uh, they're able to pour a lot more money into marketing and, and, and you know, invest in their, you know, front office and really uh, uh, help those teams off the ice. So uh, it, it's been a big shift. Uh, I mean, if you'd ever told me uh, 10 years ago that you had Palm Springs and, uh, you know, Tucson and, you know, Henderson right outside of uh, Vegas would all be in the American Hockey League. I mean, and now you're seeing some real heavy players like OBG come in with Palm Springs and put up a $250 million, 10,000-seat uh, building. I mean, it's just – money now involved that's uh, not kind of the old uh, school uh, American Hockey League of the past where it was older cities and smaller buildings that were you know kind of uh, on the downside now you're getting a lot of high growth uh, you know big money starting to come into the league and uh, really invest and uh, it, it's following on the hockey side as well uh, NHL teams uh, recognize that the American Hockey League is is vital to their to their entire operation and so they're they're putting the resources Great stuff today, Patrick. Appreciate you making time for us and the insights, and I hope we get a chance to do it again soon, okay? Absolutely. Thank you. That is Patrick Williams from the uh, NHL.com, the American Hockey League side of things, beat reporter. We'll take a time out here. It's 12.51 in Edmonton. Come back with some, uh, some more thoughts. We should probably discuss what Kyler Yamamoto's next contract could or would look like. We'll get some thoughts from Cody as well. Also thoughts from you. 780-496-0063 on the Ashley Fine Floors text line when we come back. 12.53 in Edmonton. We all deserve a holiday after the year we've had, don't we? New West Travel has a special VIP trip to Vancouver. You can take a loved one, join New West Travel on a three-night getaway to spectacular Vancouver, B.C. New West Travel's package includes airfare and a private WestJet charter with complimentary open bar and meals, departing from private terminals, three nights in a deluxe four-star hotel, all for just $699. Check out Stanley Park, stroll the beaches, shop, 
for dying in the beautiful waterfront city. You need a holiday this September? I do too, but I just got back from one. So you take yours. Space is limited though. So call New West Travel or go online to newwesttravel.com. So Kyler Yamamoto is basically the last piece of off-season business here now that Slater Cuckoo is the option uh, for that sort of 6-7 left defense. Yamamoto coming off a year in which uh, he didn't live up to the high expectations that were set when he had 26 points in 27 games to, uh, I guess, round out the rest of the 2020 season, 2019-2020. And then uh, a regression, at least statistics-wise, 21 points in 52 games last year. So... What is this restricted free agent worth to the team? Well, we mentioned off the top of the show that once Clefbaum's contract lands on the long-term injured reserve, they'll have about $2.82 million worth of wiggle room, and that should be somewhere within where Yamamoto falls. I can see between two and two and a half personally, but Cody, you've got a couple of comparables sort of based on production. Yeah, I, I think that a fair range, and you know, one guy who's also from around here in the Bourneville area is Brandon Hagel, who just signed three by 1.5 in Chicago. He had 24 points in 52 games last season. There's also that Belarusian kid in New Jersey, Yegor Sharangovic. You know, he uh, he obviously had a little bit better offensive production. I think he's a very skillful forward. Probably doesn't bring everything that Yamamoto does, clearly, but he had 30 points in 50 four games last year so again a little bit higher numbers than Yamamoto but if you look back to when Kyler was playing with you know Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins he was a point per game forward for a while. Yeah, 11 goals, 15 assists for 26 in uh, 27 games, and then just eight goals across 52. Now, a player's entire worth and value, of course, is going to be seen other than just on the stats sheet. But for Yamamoto, that's got to be part of his game uh, on Leon's right wing in the top six of a team that needs to be firing on all cylinders, you know, in order to be a serious contender out of the West. And they're in the Pacific Division, they're going to be challenged greatly by Vegas. Aside from that, I don't see any reason why this Oilers team can't be, you know, the number two team at the end of the year. And if that's going to happen, it's going to happen largely in part to their top guys. Yamamoto needs to start incorporating himself day in and day out as one of those top options. Well, I think if you're going to give him a two by two or two by maybe just over two, I'm not sure exactly what that final number is going to come in at, but you really hope that he's pushing to be in the top six on a nightly basis and that he's contributing a lot more offensively than he did last season. Two years, maybe three, it will be a bridge deal at this point, obviously. The player is going to want to prove a lot more to the league, to the franchise, to say, you know, I'm worth this price tag. And if he can get back to even some sort of, you know, modicum of what he was producing in 2019-20, uh, then that payday is going to look a lot more like a five or six or whatever at the next stop. But this team can't afford that right now, so they're going to need part of the, you know, production to come cheap. And we're seeing some of these deals now, all of these deals really this offseason, looking for cheap production. It's got to come internally at some point. That's how Tampa's done this over and over again. I know we're beating the dead horse. But Kyler Yamamoto being that first-round pick, being somebody who's proven what he can do, now they've got to get him here, signed, committed again for another couple years. And it should go in the in the direction that everybody would want it to. I'm, I'm just curious why the drop-off so significantly last year, because he played basically the same amount of minutes per night, right around 16. 
Well, I think a lot comes into it of just being a young player and going through a, a crazy situation that no one's ever been through with COVID. You know, you have that pause, you go into the bubble. Now you've got a weird off season. It's not normal times. You're playing in front of empty barns now. It's just unfamiliar territory where I feel an older veteran or somebody who's been in the league for maybe five plus years can handle it a little better than someone, you know, quite green. Typically, during the season, we've got the Oilers Now Injury Report for you, brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Of course, with everybody kind of skating and doing their own thing, no news, nothing to report on that front. So instead, we'll send it off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Come back with the conclusion of Champions Week replay. Steve Smith, the guest, Brendan Escott, Cody Jansen in all week on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.